this is David Dearman. I'm the pastor of Memphis Tabernacle, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope that this message inspires you and builds your faith. I hope that it gives you fresh insight and strength to see God moving your life. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, open your Bibles today to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I started a series called Foundations. I know that I've done a few different foundation series, but uh, this one happens to be about developing a personal relationship with the Lord. And can I tell you, I was thinking about during worship, God cares, He doesn't care about us developing skill sets or developing patterns to know how to look like a Christian, to know how to act like a Christian to know how to act like a believer, to know, uh, learn patterns of behaviors without a heart attachment. That's called religion. Learn patterns of behavior to know how to lift your hand or know how to say amen. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm saying if they don't come from the heart and if you detach your belief from what you're doing. And I find myself at times. I found myself at times. And I say, why am I saying that? Why am I doing that? Why am I acting that way? And I want to make sure that my relationship with the Lord, I want to make sure my relationship with my wife, I want to make sure my relationship with you comes from my heart. Amen? Now, what I'm not saying is you come over to the other thing where I'm going, do I mean that? And I become some spooky person. You know, do I really mean I love? Oh, come on. But what I am talking about, don't slip into just be, uh, uh, behavior and patterns and rote, a rote, learned behaviors with the Lord and forget that God wants a personal relationship with every single person. And that's what we're talking about. That's the foundation. The first two weeks we talked about our perspective. How do you see God? What's your concept of God? How do you see God? What's your view of God? Are you, do you view God as a, a harsh God? as a mean God, as a distant God, as a judgmental God, as a manipulative God. And then the next week we talked about how, do, how does God see you? Does he look at you as, as, you know, just a flake, unfaithful? Does he look at you as someone who's a tryhard? Does he look at you as someone who's this or that? Or how does he see you? And we, we talked about last week, he sees you through eyes of grace. He sees you through eyes of righteousness. He sees you through eyes of love, right? He also, even when he corrects you, he does it through eyes of love. He does it with, with uh, intention. See, if our concept of God and our, the way he sees us and us, we see him isn't, isn't right and proper, then how can we ever develop a relationship with someone we don't trust? This week and next week, I'm just going to do these next two weeks, and that'll be the, done, the end with this. I want to talk about our communication with God. This is how... Uh, Today I want to talk about why is the Bible so important, and next week I just want to end with how do we hear from God? Like how do we hear from God? And I think it goes in that order too. How do we hear from God? Today is why is the Bible so important, and how do we hear from God? And I think these next two things are important. I wanted to start though with our concept with God, because if we don't get that straightened out, uh, we, we won't even approach the Word of God right. We'll look at it as legalistic in a book of rules, rather than a book of love, rather than a love letter from the Lord. And so how important is the Bible? I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one is this. The Bible is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. Even when we opened it up, we said it's God's Word. We held it up today and we said it's God speaking to me. It's God's love letter. 
The Bible is God's love letter. It's God's word. I remember when I first started dating uh, T- Tiffany, uh, and uh, she'd write me a letter. She'd write me a note. Even today, uh, you know, a, a little while back, she wrote me a note for Valentine's Day. Beautiful letter, and I looked at it, man, and I teared up. And I mean, she's written me, like, a lot of these. But it touched my heart. And you know what I did? I didn't take it and go, that was so sweet, and trashed it. And it's not just because I'm sentimental. I took it and I set it over the side of my desk and I picked it up again. I looked at it. It's not because I can't hear her words and say, I can hear those words anytime. No, she wrote me something from her heart. And when God writes something from his heart, it's meaningful. It's from his heart to our heart. So what I really want you to understand as we go over why the Bible is so important, I want you to understand how important the Bible is, but I want you to understand and fall in love with the Lord. And with his word. And understand that it's a big deal. God's, God, the Bible and God's word is a big deal to us. This, the Bible is 66 books. It's 39 Old Testament uh, books. It's 27 New Testament books. It was written over a 1500 year span. It, uh, there are 39 writers, but there's only one author. And who's the author? It's God himself. God inspired these. See, we live in a day of, uh, of a fight for absolute truth. Absolute truth. Uh, the Bible is inspired. It's, in, it's the inspired by God and it's infallible and it's without error. And it's important for us to know that. The Bible doesn't only contain truth. The Bible is truth. See, it's important for us to know that because if you go on college campuses nowadays, that's not what people teach. In fact, there's a big fight against truth. People will say, there is no absolute truth. In fact, if you say you're absolute, there is absolute truth, you're being dogmatic. You're trying to be controlling. There's only my truth and there's your truth. Right? You've heard it before? People say, don't try to shove that down my, my neck. There's my truth and there's your truth. Don't tell me what I need to believe. Or, or why should God tell me what truth is? Well, you know, and I heard someone say, when you've created your own world, you can create your own truth. The reason why God can create truth is because God created you. Right? So God came up with truth. The Bible doesn't only contain truth, it is truth. There's an attack in our society to discredit the Bible. It's saying that the Bible is just another great work. It's a great work of literature. And when we open it, we should open it and see it, uh, read it like we would read Shakespeare or something. Like another book. But if the Bible is not the Word of God then we have no standard by which to live. The Bible is not just another book or another work of literature, another history book. The Bible is the standard by which we live life. There is a fight for absolute truth. God's Word is the standard of truth. And let me tell you, you can't, you can't just say which parts are true and which parts are not true. Because if you were to say which parts are true and which parts are not true, that would put you as the judge above God. And if you're the judge above God, then God's not judging you, you're judging God. God's not bringing you the truth, you're bringing God the truth. You can't say which parts are true. You don't believe the Bible is, if you don't believe the Bible is God's word, then you become God. To say which parts are right and not. This is what happened in the garden. Satan brought God's word into question right away. And what were the consequences when Satan brought God's word into question? Immediately what happened was the world 
entered into sin, and as soon as the world entered into sin, intimacy between God and man was lost. See, when you begin to question God as the truth and as the one that we live our life, and you begin to say, God, there is something... It's, it, I don't know if everything you're saying in your word is true. And you begin to question God, it breaks, becomes sin, and it breaks intimacy between us and God. So, well, some would say, well, what about the scientific impossibilities of the word? I mean, it's scientifically impossible for the Bible to be true. I mean, how can a man, look at Jonah, how can a man live inside of a whale for three days? That's scientifically impossible. Well, that, that's true. It is scientifically impossible. But I'll tell you what else is scientifically impossible. That someone could raise up their staff and the seas could part, right? And you could have a million people walk on dry ground. That's across. Is that scientifically impossible? Sure is. And then he could raise it again and they go back together and that the enemy come in and they all get drowned. Yeah, that's scientifically impossible. It's scientifically impossible for the deaf to have their ears open. It's scientifically impossible for the blind to see. It's scientifically impossible for the dead to be raised. There's all kinds of things that are scientifically impossible. That's why it's called miracles. That's why it's called signs and wonders. I'll tell you something else that's scientifically impossible is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So which part of the scientifically impossible are we going to throw out? See, scientifically impossible doesn't prove that the Bible is not true. It proves that God is God. So there's all kinds of scientifically impossible things that we see throughout the Word. Of course, that's signs and wonders. God works outside of the rules that He created. They're called miracles, signs, and wonders. The Bible is the best defense that we have against the enemy. And I want you to open up again to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. And we see here that right after Jesus, right when Jesus... Uh, fasted for 40 days. The Bible says that he was hungry. And look here in verse 3. It says, during the time, look in the New Living Translation, it says, during that time the devil came and said to him, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I want you to notice what he questioned. He questioned the legitimacy of Jesus. If, or if you're really the Son of God... Command these stones to become bread. And what happened? But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say. What did he say? He said the scriptures say. What did he call? What did, what did he say? He didn't just say, you dumb, big, bad devil. He didn't start screaming at the devil. He didn't start cussing at the devil. He didn't flip off the devil. He didn't pull out his flags and start waving at the devil. He didn't worship and see if the devil would leave. This is my weapon of choice. He didn't do that. Here's my point. We could make up all kinds of things and say, this is the way to get the devil off. Let me tell you what Jesus did. I'm just telling you what Jesus did. I'm not saying all those things aren't good. I'm just saying what Jesus did. Jesus said, the scriptures say, and he didn't only do it one time. He did it all three temptations. The scriptures say, the scriptures say, the scriptures say, and listen, if anyone that we could follow would probably be the right example to do it that way, it would be Jesus, wouldn't you say? If we're going to follow anyway, it would be Jesus, right? He said, the scriptures say, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus himself used the word to come against the enemy. He didn't yell, scream, but he quoted out of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. 
The very first attack, also I want to show you, the very first attack of the enemy. So not only did Jesus highlight his, the, the, the importance of the Scripture in combating the enemy, but I want, want to show you the very first attack of the enemy against God was against God's Word. Look back in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this, The serpent, who we know was Satan, it says the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals of, that God had made. And one day, he asked of the woman, notice what he said, Did God really say, would you say that with me? Did God really say? I want you to notice the very first attack that the enemy had against God to bring sin into the world was to question God's word. Why? Because he knows if he can get God's word out of man, then he can get man to sin. In fact, in Mark chapter 4, just leave that up for a moment. In Mark chapter 4, the Bible says that the, the, Jesus said this parable, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand all parables? It was the parable of the sower. And he said that the word is sown. He was talking about the word of God is sown in our hearts of the soil. And he says, and when it's sown, Satan comes immediately. As soon as the word of God goes out, Satan comes immediately. As soon as you hear the word of God in church, Satan comes immediately after the word. Why is Satan so like, why does he like scatter for the word? It's kind of like bird with bird seed that you throw out birds, you throw out bird seed and the birds start to come or you throw out uh, uh, bread and ducks start to come. Why do they come? Because they like that. Why does Satan come immediately when you throw it out? Because they know if you eat the seed, you grow and defeat him. So as soon as the, the word of God is sown, what does he do? He comes immediately to take the word that was sown in their hearts because if it grows up, he gets defeated. So the very first thing, what happens here in Genesis 3.1? It says, did God really say you must eat of the tree? Satan came after the words. Listen, let me tell you, knowing God's word is the best way to defend yourself against the lies of the enemy. Let me say it again. Knowing God's word is the best way to defend yourself against the lies of the enemy. You can pray. You can fast. You can worship. You can do this or that all night long. But knowing God's word is the best way to defend yourself against the lies of the enemy. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay, number two. Number two. Not only is the Bible God's word, but the Bible is life to us. The Bible is life to us. There are a few necessary things that we need in our natural man, our natural body, that sustain our lives and we can't live without them. Like one is water. Can you live without water? No, we can't live without water. Um, another is food. Can you live without food? You can't live without food. Air. Can you live without air? Can you live without sleep? No. We need those things to sustain ourselves naturally. We also have some things spiritually. We are a spirit. We have a spirit man, but we are a spirit. And there are some things that we need spiritually to, to sustain our lives. And I want to show you the Word of God supplies those things spiritually. Uh, water, air, uh, food. We also need for our spiritual bodies. Uh, food. Some say our natural bodies can go 40 to 80 days without food. Do you believe it? 
Somebody say, no, I don't believe it. I don't believe I can go more than a day without food. Yeah. <laughs> more than 40 days without food. 40 to 80 days without food. But we need spiritual food to sustain our spiritual bodies as well. The Bible is our bread. In fact, the Bible is the only thing that sustains and nourishes us. The Bible is the only thing that sustains and nourishes us. We live by the Word of God. But there are many believers who live life malnourished and they're suffering from spiritual malnutrition today. And so they're wondering, why is it that I'm so spiritually dry? Why is it that I'm so spiritually weak? Why is it that I'm so spiritually hungry? Why is it that I'm so spiritually empty? Why am I not strong spiritually? And they realize they're malnourished spiritually. And they're praying, oh God, fill me up. Open the Bible. Look in Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23. Let me ask you this question. If you saw someone in a state of starvation, would you just pray for them that they, oh Lord, I pray that you'd fill them up. Or would you give them something to eat? You'd give them something to eat. Well, I think you'd pray for them and give them something to eat, right? And I think spiritually the same thing, right? If you feel starved, if you feel weak, if you feel malnourished, right? Feed yourself and pray. I do both. Look at Job chapter 23, verse 12. It says, I have not departed from his commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. I've treasured his words more than daily food. Comparing, he's comparing physical food and spiritual food. Just like we need physical food. Just like we need three hot meals a day or two hot meals a day or intermittent fasting, one hot meal a day or whatever it is. We need every day to eat the word of God. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your what? From your mouth. Not, not just on the inside. Well, I just have the word of God in my heart. My, my mouth. By the way, I'm telling you, when I, when I got turned on to the word of God, I kept my Bible with me. It was in high school. I kept my Bible on me 24 hours a day. I slept with my Bible. I mean, I kept my Bible in class. I'd walk around with my Bible. I still keep my Bible on me. But I'm saying I took notes. I wrote down. I wanted to know everything that God wanted me to know about the Bible. People say, well, the Holy Spirit will bring, bring it back to remembrance. Well, he will. But the Bible says be diligent to, to, to study to show yourself approved to God. A worker that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Let me encourage you. Take notes. Write things down. I'm not looking over your shoulder, by the way. But I'm just saying, take notes, write things down, study. God will honor those kinds of things. He says here, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it. How often? Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. Uh, by the way, Hebrew meditation, it just means to ponder by think, talking to yourself. Ponder by talking to yourself. Ponder. It's like regurgitating, like a cow that chews its cud and it brings it back up. I know it's gross. <laughs> but chews its cud and brings it back up and will chew it and it goes down and bring it, brings it back up and chew it and, and, and it goes back down. He just ponders. You'll take a scripture. Sometimes I'm telling you when I'm trying to build, build my heart concerning something, I'll take a scripture and I'll take that scripture and say it and meditate it a hundred times or more. I'll take it in a week and maybe 500 times over and over and over and over. I'll meditate the word. I remember I was listening some years ago to Dr. Uh, Cho in uh, Korea. And he said that a woman came to him and she needed healing for cancer. And she was on stage four cancer. 
And she came and asked for healing. And right when he went to go pray, he said, the Holy Spirit said, have her meditate the word. Because sometimes you can pray and, and, and get the instant results or get results. But in order to keep your healing, in order to, 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 to hold on to your healing, or there's other reasons that the Lord wants you to just hold on to it and build your own faith about it. And the Lord uh, had, had put on his heart to tell her this. And he said, he said, I'll pray for your healing, but I want you to do this. He said, I want you to go up to Prayer Mountain, was a place that they uh, had uh, to pray. He said, I want you to go up to Prayer Mountain, and I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to write down First uh, Peter 2.24 and say, uh, He himself bore our own body, sins on his own body on a tree, that we having died to sin might live into righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. And I want, every time you come to that point, by whose stripes you were healed, I want you to say it out loud. By whose stripes I am healed. I am healed. He said, I want you to do it 10,000 times and write it out 10,000 times. And when, after you get done 10,000 times, come back and pray and I'll pray for you. And she said, okay. You know, when you're desperate, you'll do whatever it takes. Somebody say amen. Yeah. So she said, I'll do it. I'll do it. So she went and she went to go do it. Well, she came back and she said, oh, Dr. Joe, guess, guess what happened? She said, I'm completely healed. So what happened? She said, I got to about a thousand times. She said, and just this heat sensation went through me. She said, and I said, by whose stripes I was healed. And she said, and something just came through me. It was the healing power of God just came through me. She said, and I don't need you to pray. I, I, I'm healed. I just know I'm healed. Well, what happened? Is that some formula? And someone goes, okay, what did she do 10,000 times? I need to do. See, because sometimes we just think formula is going to do it. No, it's that she was convinced of the word. She meditated the word. And God wanted her to have to be convinced of the word. Well, it doesn't only work in healing. It works in any area of our lives. I said it doesn't only work in healing. It works in any area of our lives. That we become convinced of the word. But if we live in the world that we live in and we see all the outside things and we think we're just going to have a little cold snack in the word and just, oh God, whatever you want to do. It doesn't get into us. It doesn't get into the pores of our hearts, so to speak. Look at this book of the law. Say it with me. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. Say it with me. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Then you will make your way prosperous when you meditate the word day and night. You're nourished by it. You live on it. Eating God's Word is the most important thing you could do daily. I said eating God's Word is the most important thing you can do. I don't have time for the Word. You don't have time not to have the Word. Eating God's Word is more important than your physical meals. It's important for you to open God's Word. I, I didn't say quantity. I said quality. Just open up God's Word and get God's Word into your heart every day. How do you feel... How do you feel physically if you haven't eaten all day? You, you ever uh, get, I was talking to someone the other day, and they just go, man, I, I don't know what it is. I just, I just don't feel good today. I just feel weak. And I said, well, what's going on? I don't, I don't know. I just, have you eaten today? You know, I didn't even think about it. I didn't eat today. Why don't you go get something to eat? Huh. They came back and said, I feel a whole lot better. <laughs> you know, sometimes spiritually, you know, I just don't feel good. Would you pray for me? Well, did you eat? Did you eat today? Have you eaten the word today? Have you nourished yourself today? You know? The most important thing you could do for yourself is to eat spiritually. 
um, the Word of God. Uh, Psalm chapter 68, verse 19, it says, Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. The God of our salvation, Selah. Selah just means stop and think about it. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits. What I read in the morning is exactly what I need for that day. I mean, see, we, we have a daily reading plan. In fact, we have a free bookmark that you can go grab outside and just stick it in your Bible. Or we have a journal. We buy the journals from outside. I think we sell them at cost. Uh, they're eight bucks. We may even underwrite it a little bit, but they're eight dollars uh, just for a journal that we have a Bible reading plan where we read through the whole Bible every year. But just start with the New Testament. And just what, whatever that is, I can't tell you how many times that just that day's reading, I'm reading, I was reading it the other day, and I'm like, God, did you set it up for that day to be exactly what I needed that day? It happened so many times. And so many times the answer I needed that day was in that day's reading. The Bible says, He daily loads us. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us up with benefits. He has all kinds of things for us, but we do have to have the investment to be able to put the Word of God in our hearts, put the Word of God into our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Just start with a chapter a day. Not only is the Word our, food, our bread, but the, but the Word of God is our water. We need, uh, it, it's our life, it's our water. It's our water. Uh, in, uh, physically, our bodies can go... Someone said between 4 and 14 days, our body could go without water. Between 4 and 14 days. But water in the Bible, water represents words in the Bible. If you look in Psalm chapter 1 and verse, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, somebody say counsel, of the ungodly. That doesn't mean you go to a counselor, it just means you listen to your friends. And it doesn't mean that they're not Christians or call themselves Christians how many of you know Christians can still give ungodly counsel? Ungodly counsel is counsel that doesn't come from Scripture. It's counsel that, well, what I think, can I just tell you, Jack, I don't care what you think. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but I don't, I, I, it's not that I don't care. I don't need what you think. I need to know what the Lord thinks. I don't need what someone thinks, right? Look at Blessed is a man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. If you're going to get their counsel, by the way, just go the opposite thing of whatever they tell you. Don't walk in it, right? The counsel of the ungodly. Nor stands in the path of sinners, just hanging around listening to them. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. What is that? It's, it's balking at, at uh, you know, at other people. Notice, he says, the one who's blessed is the one who doesn't listen to the words of the ungodly. He says, but does listen to this. Look at verse 2. But his delight... His delight, he's learned to treasure the words of God because the words of God is what produces. His delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates. There's that word again, ponders by talking to himself. He meditates day and night. God's word is also water. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever, somebody say whatever. He does shall prosper. This is a guaranteed success scripture. He says if you'll take the word of God and you'll meditate on what God says to do and meditate on the words of God, he says you'll be like a tree and you'll have water flowing through you. You'll be, you won't be dehydrated spiritually. You'll have water flowing inside. 
He says, and everything you'll do prospers. Your leaf is not going to wither. You're not going to wear out. You're going to bring forth fruit in its season. Amen. Amen. See, we're in a world, the world that we live in, we're engaged in a world that has a war of words. Satan is constantly trying to discredit the word and the words of God. He tries to speak doubt. He tries to speak lies. He tries to speak unbelief. He tries to influence what you say, what others say, what others say about you. What comes out of your mouth? Words come out of your mouth. A flood of words. And the words are coming from all directions. That's why we need to focus our attention to not say, I don't care what everybody says. What does God say about the situation? And if we can tap into the source the source of life, the source of strength, the source of hope, the source of what God's saying will tap into the river flow, the bread, the water, the life that we need from God's word. He is our water. The flood of words, it comes from all directions. And let me show you a couple of scriptures about this. Satan, you'll see in the word, he always wants to flood us. But God with his word always wants to fill us. Satan always wants to flood us, but God always wants to fill us. Satan always wants to overwhelm us. You ever been overwhelmed by words and you just say, I just got to stop this conversation right now. I just got to hang up this. I was in a conversation about a month ago. And I hate this. Well, I'm not going to go into who it was or what, what it was. It wasn't anybody here. But I was in a conversation and the words were so negative in the conversation. I had to put the conversation on nearly mute. But I couldn't put it on silence because it was a Zoom call. And I had the video, and I just said, I can't hear these words. There's too much at risk right now for me to listen to these words. So I just sat there, and I looked at the Zoom call. But there was so much doubt and unbelief on this Zoom call, I couldn't listen to it. Now that rarely happens. But I'm just telling you, sometimes you got to put a mute button on the doubt and unbelief and not listen to the naysayers. Satan wants to flood you and overwhelm you with his words. Look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 15. It says, Then the dragon tried to drown the woman with a flood of water that flowed from his mouth. You ever been trying to, you ever uh, been drowned by the flood of water from someone's mouth? What comes out of your mouth? Words. And Satan uses words to try to carry you away, to try to overwhelm you, to try to flood you. But Jesus has a different plan. You remember Jesus with the woman at the well? She was, she was at the well with natural, and she was talking about wa- natural water, but I want to remind you what, what uh, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of God for you and who you are speaking to you, you would ask, and I would give you, somebody say, living water. See, he's talking about spiritual words, not physical words. He's saying, if you would ask me, I would give you spiritual words. And what would they do? They'd fill your soul. Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give him will never become uh, thirsty again. Notice this and read this with me. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. I want you to notice where Jesus water. It doesn't come to flood us. It comes to fill us. It doesn't come from the outside to push us down. It comes from the inside to lift us up. 
and to fill us up. How good does it feel? What happens when somebody goes into the hospital when they're dehydrated? They hook them up to an IV and they get them, they flood them, they fill them, they hydrate them. And what does Jesus do when we're dehydrated? He fills us up with this living water. And what happens? We don't thirst anymore. But if we don't get filled up with the living water, what do we do? We seek an infilling from the outside. There's people not in church today because they're seeking an infilling. Last night, maybe. From the outside. And they're just too tired. They're just too dehydrated to come to church. And then I'll ask them sometimes, Hey, have you been in the Word? I'm not even saying have you been in church. Have you been in the Word? Oh, uh, just, I don't even know where the word is. I don't even know where my Bible is. Well, how, how are you going to live without the word? How are you going to live without filling up on the Bible? You think you're superhuman? You think you're Jesus? Even Jesus needed the word. Right? We need the word. Jesus said, anyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. He says, but the water that I'll give you becomes in him a fresh bubbling spring within them. They were having two different conversations. She was talking about natural water. He was talking about uh, spiritual water. Notice that the fountain also that's on the inside, it washes. It says that the fountain is a fresh bubbling spring giving them eternal life. Notice what a fountain does from the inside. It washes from the inside out. You know, you take like a hose. If you're ever trying to clean something out and you put a hose like up in something... And it's washed it out. It's like <clears throat> sprayed all the stuff out. <clears throat> Is that a good 4D sound effect for church? Sometimes people will get into discipleship and they'll get into, uh, they'll get into freedom class. And they'll just go, I mean, I've had a number of times people come up and go, Pastor David, I, I feel like I'm getting worse. I said, what do you mean? I'm getting in here and I'm putting the word of God in, but I feel like things have gotten worse. I go, what do you mean? I'm sinning more. I'm thinking more dirty thoughts. I'm saying things. I'm, I'm, I'm a worse person now that I'm in discipleship. I go, what do you mean you're worse? It's just all coming out. I go, why is it all coming out? I don't know. I go, could it be because the fresh water is coming in and it's pushing all the stuff out? Never thought about that. Yeah, that's what it's talking about. When you have the fresh water that's pushing in, what happens? Stuff comes out. You're in a detox. You're in a cleanse. And so what's going to happen? St you're going to see some stuff and it's going to look worse than it, than it get. It's going to look worse for a little while. But God wants to cleanse from the inside. So don't just take it right, right up front. The Word is bread. The Word is water. But the Word is also breath. The Word is also air. The Word is also air. You ever just need... A breath of fresh air, you have to go outside and have a breath of fresh air. I just get overwhelmed. I stand up, I just need a breath of fresh air. That's what the Word of God is. It gives you a breath of fresh air. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, all Scripture is inspired. By the way, Jesus called the word Scripture. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. In the NIV, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. Can you say God-breathed? That word God-breathed or inspired is the Greek word theosnosis. It means, it means God-breathed, but it's two words together. One is theos, which is literally God. The other is pneuma, 
which just means breath. It's where we get the word pneumonia or where we get the word pneumatic. It means it's air driven or it's something that it's like in our lungs. When he's saying that the scripture, it's not just written. It was, it was breathed out from the breath of God. The words that we're reading are not just words of history or words. They're the breath of God. So when, we're, when we need a breath of fresh air, what do we do? We open up the words of God and we go, and I inhale the word of God. I open up my lungs and I inhale spiritually the word of God and I get a breath of fresh air. In fact, that word inspired of God. There's inspiration and there's expiration of the Word of God. There's inspiration. To inspire means to breathe in. To motivate. To expire means to breathe out. To exhale. No longer valid. No longer good. God breathed out His Word. And we breathe in His Word. He breathed out His Word. And we breathe in His Word. We actually get to get inside of us what was inside of God. We get to take inside of our being, inside of our spirit, what was inside of God Himself. And what does it do? It gives us breath. God breathed out Scripture and inspired us. Breath gives life. You can't make someone believe God, Jesus, or the Bible. When you believe, though, what happens? Everything in life changes. Jesus called the Bible scripture and it's the inspired writings. It's the God breathed writings. God breathed upon his word. In fact, in Genesis chapter two and verse seven, how did God create man? Well, God formed him of the dust of the ground. And we say, ah, we're just all a bunch of dirt. People say, ah, see who I am. I'm just a bunch of dirt like an animal. No, but God didn't breathe into a goat, the breath of life. God didn't breathe into your kitty cat or a dog, the breath of life. God made a man in his own image and in his likeness. And then God breathed into man. What does it say in Genesis 2-7? The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the whoo, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The breath of life. He breathed into man. And he breathed into man. The, he breathed into scripture the breath of life to sustain us. It's like the, you see these... Uh, I see them around Memphis. I know they're all over California. I used to see them. These oxygen bars. I almost said hoka bars, but a little bit different. Uh, the oxygen bars where people will come in, they'll hook themselves up to some oxygen, and they'll just go, man, I just feel good. I just feel good. Why? Just get some pure oxygen. See, in California, we need them because it's all smog and fog and smog, you know. Oh, and you have to have some pure oxygen. Here we have trees, and you already get some pure oxygen. But I'm telling you, spiritually... When we hear all the mess and all the stuff in our environment and we get to open up the word and we hear the pure word of God and we can just get on the oxygen bar for a little while and just soak up. God, what do you think about my life? God, what do you think about the future of America? 